Hi there, I'm really excited to welcome you to the podcast and to explain the rebrand and shift in direction that it's now taking. So a few months ago, I was walking my dog Manny around the local lake and I was thinking to myself about the concept of content creation. I don't even really like that term, but I was thinking about it as a means to sell and how the whole setup encourages a kind of constipation of the soul where we have to squeeze ourselves into a niche and position ourselves as experts in order to sell our services effectively. And you know, I kind of think that the focus on marketing and selling often has a knock-on effect on the depth of research, creative expression, and even actual thought leadership. And I was thinking about my own podcast, formerly the Rise Priestess podcast, and how well it has served my business, but I was feeling disconnected from it as a body of work. And was wanting to create something a little bit different with more depth. And in that moment, the concept for Regenerate was born, a podcast that brings together my academic training as a researcher with my love of history, somatics, and regenerative living. My intention with this podcast is to educate and inspire you to live in greater coherence with what matters most to you, and to do so in a way that entertains, educates, and hits deeper. And so here we are. This is the first episode of Regenerate with Dr. Sarah Coxon. And in this episode, we're exploring the intersections between witchcraft and capitalism, exploring if the witch hunts in Europe paved the way for capitalism as we know it today, and if reclaiming our witchiness is a route to personal, social, and ecological healing. I really, really hope that you enjoy this first episode, and if it sparks something within you and you'd like to help me, please subscribe, and then share this episode on your Instagram stories, or you can send it to your friends. This really is the best way to support me by helping us grow our little community of listeners and it rewards the hours, and I'm talking hours, of hard work that go into each episode. You're listening to Regenerate with Dr. Sarah Coxon and this is Witchcraft and Capitalism. Welcome to Regenerate, a podcast that explores healing and intentional change through the lens of somatics and principles of regeneration. This is a podcast where witchy magic, collective medicine, nature's intelligence, and political discourse weave together. I'm your host, Dr. Sarah Coxon. I'm an archaeologist turned author, researcher, somatic nervous system priestess, and somatics teacher, devoted to the path of collective reclamation and regeneration. My intention with this podcast is to educate and inspire you to live in greater coherence with what matters most to you. Regeneration. The process of healing, renewal and restoration. The weaving ourselves back into nature's great web. The coming home to what matters most. Let's dive in. I always knew I was a witch. 
At 15 years old, I'd run out barefoot into the wild and marvel at the moon, acknowledging her as my sister, my confidant, the gentle way-shower who illuminates the darkness with soft, soft light. I'd visit daily the creek nearby my home, listening to the voices of spirits being carried by the wind, feeling the gaze of our ancestors as I uttered my prayers. I'd browse the local New Age shop, purchasing crystals and herbs and candles. And by the light of the moon in my parents' back garden, I'd draw up magic circles, throw down my body in devotion to the elements and cast schoolgirl love spells. A few years later, I was working in a New Age crystal shop myself, which was my apprenticeship into the ways of magic and mystery. I always knew I was a witch. I also always felt there was something deeply disturbing about capitalism. My teenage friends and I used to do things like boycott McDonald's, calling them, and I quote, corporate bastards. We realized that something was up with the system even at the tender age of 15 when we couldn't quite grasp the enormity of it. We prided ourselves on being anti-establishment even if we didn't fully understand what that meant at the time. But we knew that things were messed up and we weren't afraid to be vocal about it. So it seems that the seeds of my soul's path were sown at a very young age. And over the past two decades, the reclamation of regenerative magic has been a red thread seamlessly running through my life. These days, as a professional somatic coach, I embody the role of alchemist in a different way, helping people find healing and deep transformation in their lives. Regenerative alchemy, I call it. And in my personal life, you could say I'm a bit of a kitchen witch, growing and foraging plant allies for healing and pleasure. This is my witchcraft. And there's something that feels deeply spiritual and political about taking this path. And this is what we'll be exploring together in this episode, asking the questions, did the witch hunts in Europe pave the way for capitalism as we know it today? And is reclaiming our witchiness a route to personal, social and ecological healing? A few things I want to share before we go further. The first is that I'm aware that a lot of the research I'm presenting here is Eurocentric. This is because I live in Europe, and this is also my personal ancestry. And also, what happened in Europe directly and indirectly affected what happened in the colonies and in other parts of the world. History is a complex patchwork of unfoldings, and what I'm sharing is just one small piece of a much larger puzzle. If you don't live in Europe or the global north, or you aren't descended from Europeans, I encourage you to let this episode inspire you to research your own heritage and the story of your land and its women. And with that, let us continue. Double, double, toil and trouble, fire burn and cauldron bubble, fillet of a fenny snake, in the cauldron boil and bake. Eye of newt and toe of frog, wool of bat and tongue of dog, adder's fork and blindworm sting, lizard's leg and howlet's wing, for a charm of powerful trouble, like a hell broth boil and bubble. 
This is the famous rhyme from Shakespeare's play Macbeth, chanted by three witches. The witches in Macbeth represent pure evil, and to call yourself a witch now is not what it meant to Shakespeare's Elizabethan audience. During the early modern period in Europe, to be branded as a witch was to be condemned to torture and death. In fact, to be a witch was illegal. In 1542, in England, just 60 years or so before Macbeth was written, the Witchcraft Act was passed, making witchcraft a crime punishable by death. Witches were not seen as innocent herbalists, although many were, but evil sorceresses doing the devil's bidding. These wise women, and they were predominantly women, were persecuted and executed. And all of this was possible because of the widespread belief in magic. People don't believe in magic anymore. At least, it's not the dominant narrative of our culture. I mean, sure, there are many of us who are in the process of reclaiming our sacred wise woman heritage, and there are plenty of people who have heard of the concept of manifestation. And we can explore such things openly without it threatening our lives, as the Witchcraft Act, although having gone through many amendments over the centuries, was fully repealed in the UK in 1951. But to be a witch today, at least through the eyes of modernity, is still to be a little bit unorthodox and, dare I say it, woo-woo, which I think is a rather derogatory term used for anyone whose claims are viewed as unscientific. In the dominator culture, the belief in magic has been replaced with the belief in science and rationalism. Anyone who believes in magic, whether living in the global north or in the global south, is treated by the dominator culture as primitive, unsophisticated, and sometimes even dangerous. Yet, rationalism is just one way of seeing the world and a sea of different coexisting ontologies. There are many different present-day epistemologies, a web of indigenous science, if you will, that still centers a strong relationship with nature and the mysterious, mystical force of magic. When a seed falls into fresh, fertile soil and over time transforms into a sapling, then a flowering plant, and then eventually a fruit-bearing shrub, doing so naturally and instinctively, is this not magic? And when petals, leaves or seeds of plants when infused in hot water give their properties to the fluid through osmosis, and then when ingested, this medicine dances its way into immune systems and nervous systems, restoring, revitalizing, regenerating. Is this not magic? When a lightning bolt strikes the earth and it transfers pounds of nitrogen to the soil, a magic ingredient that is necessary for plants to grow tall and strong, is this not magic? And when a person you haven't spoken to in months messages you only moments after you were thinking about them, 
or when you send a, a fervent prayer up to the heavens and your wish is granted, surely this is the mysterious, mystical force of magic at play. And I wonder if in the modern scientific quest to deconstruct everything and pull it all apart to understand its mechanics, we've lost something. Because where is the reverence? Where is the awe and wonder? Where is the honoring of the great mystery? This brings me to capitalism. The introduction of the capitalist free market has traditionally always been thought of as the reasons why we have the social and technological developments we have today. As if capitalism is inevitable and it's a very necessary way of organizing labor. Adam Smith, often hailed as the father of modern economics, wrote in the 1700s, it is not from the benevolence of the butcher, the brewer, or the baker that we expect our dinner, but from regard to their own interest. But is this really true? Is capitalism inevitable? Or can it also be argued that capitalism in its infancy may have been a more calculated move made by royalty, feudal lords, merchants and church leaders whose power was being challenged by anti-feudal movements. Back in the medieval period, labour was organised by a system we call feudalism. The king or queen owned all the land and handed out land to lords and nobles, basically men with titles, in exchange for their support. The elites granted the lower classes permission to cultivate on their land in exchange for a taxed percentage of their yield. Farming was and still is backbreaking work, but according to Oxford professor James E. Thorold Rogers, peasants under feudalism would never work more than eight hours in a day, and many would take eight weeks to half a year off because, of course, their labour was determined by the seasons. So working day in and day out for years with only a few days off a year would have been a completely alien concept to them. And rightly so. <laughs> Nature doesn't work that way, so why should we? So the introduction of a more capitalist way of organising labour, rather than being an inevitable path of social development, may have been a bit more of a knee-jerk reaction designed to protect the nobility's power. Because after the end of the Black Death, a plague that killed an estimated 45% of the European population, there was obviously a huge reduction in workforce. And this meant that the peasant classes could actually start demanding more. And so they did. Feudalism eventually broke down as a result and was replaced with private ownership and the free markets. And today, we're living the legacy of what happened all those years ago. In modern times, we find ourselves embedded within an economic model that is far too unrestricted and as a result is destroying the natural world and people's health at rapid speed.
But the widespread destruction in the name of the free markets didn't just begin at the dawn of industrialization. It actually started centuries before, not so much in the mass destruction of forests, but in the persecution and execution of women, better known as the witch hunts. The European witch hunts of the early modern period spanned from the 15th to the 18th century. There had been witch hunts before, notably during the Roman period, and there are still witch hunts going on today in countries like Tanzania, for example. So witch hunts sadly aren't a phenomenon that are isolated to one period in history alone. The witch hunts of Europe the witch hunts of my ancestry, was, let's face it, a mass genocide that spanned hundreds of years. That's a long time. We don't know how many women were actually killed. Maybe thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands. And all the while, these women, innocent people like you and me, were being persecuted and killed, European society, as I've already stated, was slowly transitioning from feudalism to early-stage capitalism and the advent of industry as the main source of accumulation. A coincidence? Maybe. Or perhaps what was happening village to village is what paved the way for these wider socio-economic shifts to happen in the first place. Silvia Federici, author of Caliban and the Witch, believes that it weren't for the European witch hunts, capitalism may not have actually taken hold. Or, to put it differently, the persecution of women allowed for capitalism to take root in the way that it did. Let me explain further. In early modern Europe, magic was the arena dominated by women, and it gave them a sort of social power despite living within a patriarchy where they couldn't really own anything and their father's or husband's wishes were the law. However, if you wanted to know your future, cure an ailment, get rid of an unplanned pregnancy or deliver a baby, you'd go and seek the local wise woman who would give you rituals and spells and herbs. And the thing is, when people believe in magic, convincing them to be part of a new economic order where they have to work a lot more for someone else becomes pretty difficult. Because magic is the harnessing of natural phenomena. It's a world without hard work and organized labor which means that women who practice magic are dangerous to the elite. These rebellious women follow nature's laws, not the laws of the governing system. Silvia Federici writes, quote, Magic was an obstacle to the rationalization of the work process and a threat to the establishment of the principle of individual responsibility. Above all, magic seemed a form of refusal of work, of insubordination, and an instrument of grassroots resistance to power. The world had to be disenchanted in order to be dominated. 
the incompatibility of magic with the capitalist work discipline and the requirements of social control is one of the reasons why a campaign of terror was launched against it by the state. End quote. Although not every woman who was killed was a wise woman, herbalist or midwife, plenty were. And most likely the witch hunts back then have played their part in shaping the medical profession in the West as we know it now. Because after the early modern period, birth and sickness, once in the domain of women, became a paid profession and doctors were almost exclusively male. Women with their ancestral knowledge, who had most likely been administering medicine for free or in exchange for food, were sidelined from these vital roles. And childbirth and illness became a lucrative part of the capitalist economy. There's also more. A female's key role in early capitalist society was simply to have lots of babies. Gender division of labour, with men going out to work and women staying at home to raise the workforce, was playing out in a way that it really hadn't before. And as capitalism progressed, females were expected to play their part by giving birth to, raising and taking care of the workers. All of this was without financial compensation, meaning that although women were essential to it, they were in fact living on the margins of the new economy. It seems, therefore, that in order for capitalism to take hold, it needed to eradicate anything that limited the full exploitation of the people. So this meant breaking the power of women and females, cementing their roles as mothers and carers, and dissolving the web of relations that tied people to the natural world, each other, and even to their own bodies. The witch hunts were a disturbingly effective way of doing this. People turned on each other, there was mass hysteria, and collective suspicion rooted in superstition spread like wildfire. It was a dark and dangerous time for the most vulnerable members of society and it frightened many rebellious and questioning women into subordination. And like a virus, it spread. The witch trials weren't just confined to Europe. They crossed the Atlantic, and by the 17th century, indigenous women, African enslaved women, and settlers alike were being accused and condemned. Interestingly, though, witch trials were one of the few opportunities where enslaved people could exercise some minute bit of power. There's a story about a Native American girl, Tituba, who famously motivated the Salem witch trials, confessing herself to witchcraft, as well as accusing two settlers, Sarah Good and Sarah Osborne. In doing so, as an enslaved teenage girl, she was exercising what little power she had to save herself. And although she wasn't beaten, she was not killed and was later released from prison. Sarah Good and Sarah Osborne were not so lucky. They both died. And their story is far from an isolated one. I don't blame Tituba at all. I can't even imagine what she must have witnessed and endured in her lifetime. And if I was her... I probably would have done the same.
As I delve into the past with you, I can feel it palpably, the witch wound, like a heavy stone in the pit of my stomach, a visceral tightening across my throat and chest. I have no idea if any of my ancestors were burned or witnessed or even partook in such atrocities, but I feel it in my cells. The echoes are there. Echoes of fear, injustice, and deep, deep grief. It's obvious that the witch hunts of Europe left in its wake a huge legacy, one that is etched within the bodies of women and shaped who we collectively had to become. But it has also undoubtedly influenced the structure of modern Western society itself, and perhaps Capitalism and the endless pursuit to dominate, conquer and accumulate is its most destructive legacy of all. And so back to capitalism. Under the spell of capitalism, as Toy Smith calls it, not only is our connection to nature severed, but the human body, a manifestation of nature itself, is seen as no more than a machine for labour, a tool to be used, abused and discarded. Within this economic model, the body, a somatic instrument of life and magic and mystery, loses its aliveness and sovereignty and truest expression because it belongs to a greater set of machinery that demands endless exploitation, extraction and production. And it goes on and on and on. It's never enough. There's always more, more to be done more to achieve, more to build, more to accumulate. Bio Akamalafe calls it the malaise of modernity. He thinks that for all modern life has brought us shopping malls and convenience, it has also stripped us of dignity, aliveness and deep connection. And I personally wonder if how we even conceive of privilege these days in mainstream discourse simply mirrors these deeply entrenched capitalist ideals. Because in most of the discussions around privilege, usually it's about access to money and economic power. And that absolutely has an impact upon the quality of people's lives. But I'm also interested in different forms of privilege, the ones that have escaped capitalist capture, For example, what about the privilege of knowing the land upon which you dwell so intimately you consider it a friend? Or the privilege of being in relationship with the herbal medicine that grows outside your door and knowing exactly how to harvest and use it to cure common ailments? Or the privilege of living in indigenous forests that have escaped logging? Or the privilege of growing up surrounded by love and community? or the privilege of feeling deeply connected to your ancestry and lineage, are these not privileges too? In our dominator culture, it feels to me like everything is about money. It's the lens through which we look at the world. And sometimes I wonder if money has now replaced magic as a source of power. 
magic, the art of changing consciousness at will. Magic, the fabric of the web of the great mystery. Magic, the antithesis of capitalism. Maybe in modernity we treat money as a proxy for magic. I think about this a lot with the new age concept of manifestation. In my mind, manifestation as the process of bringing something that is in our mind into material form is magic. It's the directing of consciousness at will. Maybe manifestation is a type of modern witchcraft and is an attempt to re-establish our connection to the mystical forces of creation. But there's something that's happened within some pockets of the manifestation movement that I find incredibly curious because manifestation is now often coupled with the accumulation of money. There's an obsession with manifesting millions. And I think that this shows us where we are still indoctrinated and captured by capitalist values that treat money as the be-all and end-all. And yet, we must remember that money is a tool. It cannot replace magic. It cannot replace nature. And as the Native American Cree proverb reminds us, when the last tree is cut down, the last fish eaten, and the last stream poisoned, we will realize that we cannot eat money. Centuries of severance, lifetimes of disconnection. I ache to be with you, great mother, and to know you as my ancestors once did. I am grieving the loss of the old ways. I am grieving the destruction and exploitation that's all around us in the name of greed. Why can't they see that their goals and ambitions are hollow and empty? How have they not yet recognized that the void they feel will only ever be filled up by returning to you, great Gaia? I grieve, I rage, I hope, I pray, I pray that one day the illusion lifts. That we all come home to you, laying our bodies on your fresh, cool earth, feeling the pulse of your heartbeat and knowing without a shadow of a doubt that magic is real. Magic is real. Magic is real. The question I'm asking myself most these days is, as we navigate climate change and the extinction crisis, what if the survival of the human species, as well as countless others, depends on the reclamation of the mystical and the restoration of the village witch? (laughs) 
Herbalism played a central role in healing and medicine in the early modern period, and valuable medicinal knowledge was passed from mother to daughter. During the witch hunts, some of that knowledge was lost, and some of it went underground. But like seeds that have laid dormant in the soil can germinate when the conditions are right, there has been somewhat of a herbalist witch renaissance in the past few decades. And I'm here for it. Marisha Mianowska writes, quote, The plants teach us how to care for one another. It is from this place of service to the ones we love, to those who need healing and support, to the plants and earth and the spirits, that we magically create transformation and move towards wholeness and holiness, end quote. Coming into right relationship with nature is a doorway to re-establishing our connection to magic. And I believe that our salvation lies here. It's the reason why the somatic coaching I do with my clients is deeply rooted in nature's wisdom. And it's why in the regenerative alchemy somatic coach training I lead, there are modules devoted to establishing connection to the old ways and working with our plant allies. I live and breathe this stuff. This isn't me paying lip service to it. I live it. And my life has become richer and more fulfilled because of it. The world is in desperate need of a new feminist revolution. Where we reject the idea that we need to work harder and harder. Where we refuse to climb the social status ladder where we attune ourselves to the natural intelligence that surrounds us and is within us, where we live in harmony with the seasons and let nature guide us, where we listen deeply to the wisdom of our bodies, where we choose to reclaim and embrace the word witch. Susan Stone Sierra Lupe writes, quote, To be a witch means that you worship the earth as a mother and heal the children of the earth by bringing them back into communication with her, end quote. So rather than worshipping at the altar of capitalism, witches worship at the altar of Gaia. How might it be different if women who were deeply connected to Mother Nature began to steward the world? In my hopes and dreams and prayers, I see a world where forests flourish, offering us cool, damp shade on hot summer's days. I see wildfires and rampant disease, all symptomatic of inflammation, cooling responding to restored harmony between humans, animals and plants. I see renewed kinship, where we recognise plants as our equals, insects as our equals, and so we take only what we need and we give back in return. I see a world where weeds that spring up outside our doorsteps are recognised and revered as the free and sacred and effective medicine that they are, and the role of pharmaceutical drugs are reduced only to what is necessary. 
I see a world where cycles and seasons are honoured and people consult their bodies and the land first. I see a world where immigrants and indigenous people alike belong to the land because we recognise that we are like seeds and seeds can travel far in pockets of wind or on the fur of animals or in the bellies of birds and wherever they land when they have what they need they thrive just like us in my hopes and dreams and prayers we come home to the earth and we once again feel like we belong to her There's no doubt that we are navigating turbulent times and that the solution lies in re-establishing a harmonious relationship between humans and the rest of the planet. And we are the ones to do it, loves. I personally don't believe that electric cars will save us, but plants and magic just might. And therefore, I would say, because I believe we are the system, that it perhaps is our duty to rewild ourselves, to walk the way of the witch. By following Gaia, we rebel against the dominator culture in the ways our ancestors, as we have learned, were not able to without fear of persecution. And by remembering the mystical and reclaiming the power of the village witch, I believe that we can pave the way for the regeneration and belonging that we all crave. You've been listening to Regenerate with Dr. Sarah Coxon. Thank you so much for tuning in. A lot of work goes into each full episode and the best way to support this project is to subscribe, leave us a quick five-star review and share the podcast on your socials and with your friends every time you listen. These small acts go a long way in helping the podcast delight new ears so that we can grow our regenerative community of listeners. Thank you for your support. And I'll see you next time on Regenerate.